We serve a great God. I turn your attention today to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we begin reading in verse 18. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house. That's interesting. He went to the house of the Lord first. Then he came to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. He had not eaten for seven days. You'd think he'd come off a seven-day fast and just go straight to the dinner table. But instead, he arose from the earth, washed, anointed himself, changed his apparel, came to the house of the Lord and worshiped, did all that, and then came to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him, he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. He said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? Those two words to me are important, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and they called his name Solomon. And these five words are important. And the Lord loved him. He was just a baby, but the Lord loved him. He loved him so much that he sent the name that he wanted on the child from heaven through his prophet Nathan. He sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedediah. The Lord said, I'm going to name this one because I love him. And he called his name Jedediah. Because of the Lord. Another translation said, The Lord named him Jedediah and sent the message by his prophet Nathan. Our subject this morning is simply this a living love note. A living love note. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today and thankful for your presence, thankful for your people, thankful for the opportunity to gather once again and to know, Lord, that you are here with us. We don't come here on a tradition, on a routine or status quo. We come, God, because we recognize the great privilege we have to gather in your presence. Now, knowing our hearts and minds to receive your word, and we will bless your name at all times and in all things. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I suppose that there are a few things in life more difficult than losing a child. I've had two close friends in this past year, lose a child, and I have seen up close the tremendous pain and heartache. Tried to comfort them as best that you can when you are a friend, but somehow you feel so limited in what you can do as a friend. Many times in life, sorrow is a solitary journey. You must walk the path alone. Sort of like a marathon. You have people that are on the side cheering you on, you have stations along the way where people have prepared drink and refreshment. But ultimately, you have to run the race. You have to endure the pain. You have to get your second wind, and you have to persevere alone. The child born to David and Bathsheba is born as a result of a very public, adulterous affair. And I believe that child was taken home by the Lord as an act of mercy. Amen. So that that baby would not have to live his entire life with the shame and stigma of being the illegitimate child of the king. Through no fault of his own, that boy would have carried for the rest of his life the visible mark 
of his parents' sin. So for seven days the child lived. And David fasted and prayed for God to spare the child. But after seven days, the mercy of God trumped the request of David, and God took the child. At this point, David is faced with a decision. He can get mad and get angry. He can live the rest of his life bitter at God. He can use his influence as a king to hurt others because... As the psychologists say, hurting people hurt others. But David does not do any of those things. Instead, he makes a conscious decision to rebound. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what every one of us have to do. When unexpected things happen in our life, even some of the result of our own mistakes and decisions, you got to make up your mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to die on that hill? Or are you going to get back up and say, I'm not going to let this mistake define who I am? you got to make up in your mind because it all starts in your mind. you got to make a decision. I can blame everybody else or I can take responsibility. And if I'm going to take responsibility, I choose to live. I choose to worship. I choose to get back up again. Oh, I'm thankful for a God, hallelujah, that allows us to have a second and a third and fourth and a fifth chance to get back on our feet again and rebound. David knows for sure that the boy is past. He does a a series of things that I think is a good life lesson for each of us when something happens that we sometimes have no explanation for. The first thing we see is that David arose from the earth. The first thing he did was change his position. Being on the ground was a position of death and defeat. But rising up is a position of life. It's a position of hope. A boxer on the mat is a sign of defeat. A wrestler with his arms pinned to the mat is a position of defeat. A person who falls with injury or sickness falls to the earth. But when you arise from the earth, something is changing. I'm going to get back up again. And I'm going to get on my feet. In Ezekiel 37, when the Lord brought the prophet Ezekiel to a graveyard, he wanted to illustrate to him what he was going to do to... Israel through an object lesson. So he asked him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, thou knowest, which was the safe answer. You know. The Lord told him to prophesy to the wind. So he did. Verse 10 says, so I prophesied as he commanded me, Ezekiel speaking, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. They stood up on their feet. That's the posture of life. That's the posture of victory. That's the posture of greatness. Upright. On your feet. Why did they do that? Because breath came into them. Oh, my friend, if you've got the breath of the Holy Ghost in you, you can stand back up on your feet, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Hallelujah. You can get back on your feet. Hallelujah. And say, I'm going to live. And God has got something exceedingly great for me. I'm not dead yet. You not only have human breath, you've got holy breath. You have been filled with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You can live, but you got to get back up on your feet. When you die, you're laid to rest. They lay you flat. It doesn't matter if they put you in a mausoleum and file you in one of them filing cabinets or they put you in the ground. You're flat. They don't bury anybody down there feet first. You go down to Fountainhead, they put you in there flat. But when you live, you rise up. You stand up. Some people are going to spend their whole life lying down. I can't understand people that sleep all day long. My God, get up. 
You're going to sleep after you die. You're going to lie down after you die. That's why they say, rest in peace. Right now you got breath. Sometimes going to church is like going to some cemeteries. Sometimes I got to drive back over there and look at the sign. It still says Pentecostal on it. We're not a cemetery plot with faces. God's given us life. We got breath. I know you had a bad week. I know you've had a bad month. I know you've had a bad year. But you still got breath. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. You got to get back up in your spirit. And you got to set your mouth like a trumpet. And declare the glory and the greatness of God. Sometimes you got to stand up in your spirit, square your shoulders, and determine you're not going to die. While there is breath, I will stand, I will declare, I will rise again. He had to, he had to change his position. The second thing was that he changed his person. He washed himself. He got cleaned up. He was not defeated. He had hope. He was preparing for the next day. He was preparing for the next moment, for tomorrow. You got to prepare yourself for victory. You got to prepare yourself for a miracle. You got to get ready for a blessing. Get ready for a blessing. You got to prepare your person for a change. And the way you can do that is sometimes you got to wash your face. Spiritually, you got to say, I'm going to get ready for a blessing. I don't know when or how, but here I come, Lord. I got to wash my face. Spirit, you say, how do you, how do you wash yourself spiritually? Well, one way you can do it is through baptism. I know a lot of times you, a lot of stuff hangs on your spirit, but oh, when you go down in the water in the name of Jesus. People say, well, that's just an outward side of an inward confession. Oh, my friend, it's more than that. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. They had the labor of water even before they could get into the outer court of the tabernacle. They had to go through the labor of water because there's something symbolic about washing yourself physically. There's a spiritual washing that takes place because you're saying, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for a blessing. I'm getting ready for a miracle. I'm getting ready. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to wash myself. I'm going to wash my face. How do you do it? You do it through the reading of the word of God you're preparing your spirit oh it's more than just coming to the house of God and just hoping that the Lord will sprinkle some pixie dust on us or you know start up our goosebump machine and, and let me feel the spirit of God you got to get ready yourself you got to be praying you got to be talking to the Lord you got to wash your face you got to get in a posture of a miracle you got to say Lord I'm coming today expecting you to do something great get ready for a miracle how do I do that? One of the things you got to do is listen to the right stuff. Have you ever watched or listened to something and afterwards you just felt dirty? Oh, you got to get clean. You just feel dirty and nasty. Something, sometimes it's just a message that's hidden in humor. Or, and sometimes it's in a song or it can be in a movie. Or sometimes just doing what you think is the right thing to do. I... Because of my legal background, I'm involved in a lot of judicial procedures within the United Pentecostal Church. Sometimes I'm representing ministers, sometimes districts, and, and sometimes I have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. And oh my goodness, you just read all this stuff and what in the world people have gotten themselves into, the mess they've gotten themselves into. It. You have to prepare for these hearings. And, and one time I was going through all of this garbage and, and I was having to read through all these text messages that this guy got in trouble and sent a whole bunch of stuff. And was got involved with a with a woman, and oh my lord, I'm having to read all this stuff. And after about two hours of it, I got up and I said, "Oh, I said to my wife, this stuff is making me sick to my stomach. I got to go take a shower." <laughs> I got up, and went, and took a shower, and washed my hair, and got out of the shower, and dried off, and and got in my pajamas, and thought I'd feel better. I didn't feel any better. 
And I realized I had washed physically, but I needed to wash spiritually. And so I had to go and wash spiritually. And the way you do that is you've got to pray. And I started thanking the Lord. I said, Lord, I thank you that you not only saved me, you're protecting me. You're protecting my marriage and you're protecting my children. You're protecting my home and you're protecting our church, Lord. And I thank you that you're a good God. Because if you're not careful, you'll hear and see all the negative stuff and forget the blessings of God. That's why I worry about our police officers and first responders because a lot of times they're out there and they're dealing with the underbelly of everything. And after a while, you start to think everybody's a crook and everybody and everybody's not like that. There's a whole bunch of good people. There's a whole bunch of good people in America. There's a whole bunch of good people in the United Pentecostal Church. And if you're not careful and all you're doing is dealing with all the problems, you'll forget all the blessings of God. That can happen in anybody's life. I've come to tell you, you may be going through some things, but I've come to tell you, there's a lot of blessings that are in your life. There's a lot of good things that are happening in your life. You gotta start just reminding yourself of the promises of God. It'll position you for a miracle. You gotta wash your mind and your spirit. Get all the dirt out. Get a clean heart and a clean mind. And I wanna say this because I believe this is important. You're either preparing for victory or defeat. There's no in between. Every day that you live, you're either preparing for victory or defeat. And the way you do it is by what you're ingesting into your mind. And by the people that you're hanging around. Every day you're preparing for victory or defeat. You say, I ain't messed up yet, but you're on the wrong path. Because you're putting the wrong things in your spirit. And you've got the wrong people around you. That's why you've got to get the right people around you. And you got to make sure your heart and mind is taking in the right stuff. Because you're around a bunch of negative stuff. I'm going to tell you what. you got to turn off the news sometimes, folks. you got to turn off the television. you got to turn off your iPhone. you got to get rid of all that stuff. If you listen to that stuff day and night, you'll be afraid to come out of your house. You'll be afraid to walk down the street. You'll be afraid to come to church. The safest place on earth. See, some of y'all can't even rejoice about that because you got so much Fox News in your head, you can't even think straight. The Lord said, I'm your healer, but you've been listening to so much garbage that you can't even think about the goodness of God. You need to shut it all off and say, oh, I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm getting ready for a miracle. I got to cleanse myself. I got to wash my mind and my spirit. You got to get around people that will talk about how good God is. People want to talk about how many folks have died. I want to talk about how many people are alive. I said, how many people are alive? He anointed himself. That's the third thing you got to do is you got to change your purpose. He anointed himself. He prepared himself for blessing. Now he acknowledges that his purpose is to bless. Before he was interceding, he was in the valley of death. He was the sacrifice. He was the instrument that would hopefully turn what he perceived as the wrath of God. But now he's the fountain of God's favor to Israel. He changed his role. He went back and remembered when the prophet Samuel had anointed him as just a young man. And he'd gone through a bunch of stuff and killed a giant, ran from King Saul, and all the stuff that had happened in his life. And now he's in the, in, in the throne. He's in the king. He's in the, in the position of, of being in the king but he has to go back and grab a hold of what his original purpose was and that purpose was when that oil came upon him he was anointed to be the light of Israel so though he's gone through all these trials and troubles he's gone through the valley of the shadow of death he's disappointed with the death of his child but he anoints himself because he's got to be reminded of what his purpose is ladies and gentlemen sometimes you got to go back and get a hold of the horns of the altar and you got to be reminded of what your purpose is. You were created to be a worshiper. You were created to be a witness. I know you've gone through a lot of junk. I know you've gone through a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache. But you've got a higher calling. You've got a destiny. And you've got to remind yourself of your purpose. 
Another point in David's life, he had to encourage himself in the Lord. After his family and his men's family, all the people that were with him and their possessions had been raided at Ziglag, he had to remind himself. He had to encourage himself. God didn't call me to be a mourner. I did that for a time in an attempt to change the mind of God, but I know what my purpose is. I am a worshiper. Sometimes you get around a bunch of negative people, you'll start thinking negative, talking negative. You've got to remind yourself, wait a second, I've been put on earth to bless, not to curse. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. Sometimes you got to get your praise. You got to begin to bless the Lord anyhow. I know God's got a purpose for me. I need to get a Bible study going. I need to get with somebody that'll talk about the goodness of God. I need to get with somebody that'll say, I need somebody to show me the words of life. Come on, get back on your feet. Understand, you got to change your person, change your purpose. You got to change your your posture. And then finally, It said he changed his apparel. Oh, hallelujah. He changed his apparel. Before he was attired with clothes for mourning, he was in sackcloth and ashes. He was dressed for suffering. He was dressed for intercession. But he also knew how to get his praise on because he was the one that said, put on the garment of praise. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if David had a whole bunch of garments in the closet. He was king. I don't know. He probably had a walk-in closet. He probably had a drive-in closet. Man, I see some pictures of people's closets. And Brother Richie, can I tell you, I have a little bit of jealousy in my heart sometimes. Because I go in my closet and the light's out and shoes are piled. I'm like, what in the world? I can't figure out where I'm going to wear and I look at other people's closet and it looks like like an Ikea store or something. <laughs> How do these people live like this? David must have had a whole wall for the garment of praise. Must have been a bunch of different colors and bells. I don't even know all what it was. But he put on that garment and come out and people say, David getting ready to praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes you got to get on your garment of praise. You got to change the way you look because if you change the way you look, you'll change the way you think. Oh, yeah. And if you can change the way you think, you can change your actions. So you got to get an old book said, Dress for Success. My dad used to tell me when he was in Bible school looking for a job, he said, son, I'd get up every day and I'd get ready for school. I'd put a suit on and when it was all said and done, he said, I kept my suit on and I left the school like I was headed to my job, only I was looking for a job. But my job was to find a job. And until I got a job, I was on the job. Sound like a lot of jobs. He said, I got dressed up and I went looking for a job because it'll affect your attitude if you just get dressed for success. These young evangelists, they love to tease Victor Jackson, one of the evangelists that will be with us during the WINS conference because he, uh, he is known for getting up every morning and putting on a suit, whether he's preaching or not. And I told him one time, I said, Victor, I love the fact that every day you wear a suit. He said, I do it because it affects my mindset. He said, even if I got a day off, I wear a suit. I wear a suit on Saturday, Monday, Thursday, every day of the week. He said, I get up and I'm ready for work. He said, it helps me because I think, Lord, you may lead me to somebody today that I'm going to have to witness to, so I'm going to put a suit on. He said, you know, Brother David, he said, when I was in college and I was playing basketball, he said, I was always in sweats. And I was always in sneakers. And he said, that was my identity, was that I was a ball player. I went to school that way. I went to work that way. Everybody knew I was a basketball player because I dressed like a basketball player. He said, my identity was that I was a 
bouncer of the ball. He was a point guard. He bounced a ball. And he said, I dressed up for that every day. I was in sweats and tennis shoes and my laces all hung out. That was my identity. But now that God has called me to be a minister, he said, I got a new identity. And he said, every day I want to remind myself of where God brought me from. So he said, I get dressed up every day. And all these other evangelists, they all tease and carry on. But you know what? I respect him because he realizes the way he's dressed is what's going to affect his mind. Sometimes you've got to change your apparel to remind you that you are a child of God. You need to pull your pants up and put on a belt. You're not a thug. You're a child of God. You walking around down here with your pants hanging out and your underwear hanging out and you say you're going to witness. You ain't going to witness to nobody. First thing you need to do is get dressed. I feel something crawling up on me right now. Say, well, I believe the Lord looks on your heart. Well, your heart will come out on what's on your flesh. Say, well, the Lord loves me the way that I am and you dress like a hoochie mama. Have any of y'all ever gone to Walmart late at night? Makes me want to sing. The freaks come out at night. Their hair and all like that. They got big furry slippers on. Waddling around Walmart with yoga pants on. I see them and I'm thinking, Oh, God bless that poor sister. She ain't looked in a mirror in a long time. And then they come up to me and say, Praise the Lord, Pastor David. I must not be preaching enough. Say, what? Whew. I've been flying on the airplane with people. I think they just roll right out of bed into the terminal. Some of y'all raised in the country, you don't know what a hoochie mom is. I'm going to read you the definition out of the dictionary. <laughs> a young woman who is sexually promiscuous or who behaves or dresses in a sexually provocative manner. Well, I love the Lord. He loves you. But if you'll read your Bible, when the devil got on people, they pulled all their clothes off. See, you don't want to hear none of this. The Lord loves me the way that I am. I'm going to tell you why there's some churches, most churches where you'll go, you won't even feel the presence of God. You know why? Because people have gotten so casual about God, they don't even want to dress up to go to church anymore. They just want to come into the parking lot with their jet skis all hooked up, and they come in their Bermuda short, and they come in with their flip-flops, and here you are coming up in the presence of God. You get dressed up to go to a courtroom to sit before a judge, but you come into the presence of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you just come in by here, and you show no respect to the house of God, and you want God to come and bless you like a spiritual Santa Claus, but you don't want to dress up. Oh, my friend, I'm going to tell you what. You want a miracle? You better change your apparel and get ready for the miraculous! I feel like I could spend the rest of the morning on that subject. And then he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He changed his place. He came to the house of the Lord, changed his location. He said, it's time to go to the house of the Lord. I've been sitting home long enough. I've been hurting long enough. I've been away from God's presence long enough. But he knew there's life in the house of God. He could have said, I'm the king. I can bring the choir to my house. I'm the king. I can bring the special speakers to my house. But no, he said, I'm going to the house of God. Oh, there's something beautiful about men and women that get up, get ready, wash their face, put on their best clothes and come to the house of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I'm coming to the house of the Lord to worship. It don't mean we're perfect people. It doesn't mean we think we're better than anybody else. It just means we believe that God's got a blessing for us. So I'm getting ready. I've come to the house of the Lord to say, God, you are great. I've had a tough week. I've made some mistakes. But bless God, I'm still here. 
I'm still here. I'm still in the house of God. I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. He worshiped. He worshiped. He worshiped. And then he changed his perspective. He said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? That the child may live. But now he's dead. Therefore should I fast. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Changed his perspective. Sometimes you've got to change your perspective. I am a child of God. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one. But I'm coming to the house of God today. Sometimes you got to come bleeding. you got to come hurting. I was uh, interviewing our good friend, Brother Chris Green, a couple of weeks ago on this uh, program that we started called The Wind and the Word. And I was interviewing him. He was telling me about how he was praying for something a few weeks ago. And he's a big part of our Winds Conference. And he said, I, I just started praying for the Winds Conference. And he said, I saw all of these people down in the front of your church. And he said, they were all worshiping the Lord. And he said, it was almost like... The Lord just opened up the windows of heaven and it was just like an outpouring of all this oil and it just saturated everybody. And he said, I felt the Holy Ghost say to me, seek for the oil, seek for the oil, the anointing oil. That's what will break the yoke. And he said, I feel like God's going to do something supernatural. So he was telling me this on the phone and I was excited about it. And so I was interviewing him and we were talking about this. And, and in the middle of this interview, I began to ask him because him and his wife, they lost their, their baby daughter uh, last year. And he came right from that hurt. Uh, to our church in January and and was still dealing with that grief even as he was here trying to minister to this church. I asked him about it online and this was his response. You know, Brother Green, as you were speaking, I was thinking how you're you're speaking from personal experience. Uh, late last year, you and Danielle lost your daughter at Sansi and then we talked about starting revival in January and you were very transparent. You said, I just don't know what all I can give but, uh, you know, I'm willing to come and, and uh, see what happens. And we started in January, and by March, we were in a crusade here in Palm Bay, and we saw mm. dozens of people get healed, and more than 50 people receive the Holy Ghost. How do you make that transition? When you, when you experience personal loss and grief and heartache, how do you make that transition? You know, we buried our daughter on the first week of December. We showed up to East Wind Pentecostal Church in the first week of January in a uh, Sunday to Wednesday revival. And I had never felt more empty in all of my life. And I did not realize something about the anointing of God um, until I showed up to East Wind Pentecostal Church that, that first week. And I had gone several days without praying after losing my daughter. I was so distraught. I was so so uh, burdened with grief and, and confusion and darkness. And, and I felt like in a moment, there's a moment there. I thought I may never get out of this grief and this, this darkness, you know, and, and I had become completely depleted in my faith and in my joy and my anointing. I remember standing on the pulpit, uh, standing on the pulpit. I didn't do that. Standing on the platform at your church that first service that that it might have been the first Sunday of January. And I felt almost like a fraud because here I am within minutes of preaching and I felt so empty, so dry. And I thought, how can I minister to these people when I don't feel the joy of God? I don't feel the strength of God right now. You know, and I stood there just so dry and I couldn't even praise and worship God, you know, and, and, I remember going to the pulpit and I didn't know if I was going to make it through that sermon. Literally in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, okay, at some point I'm going to stop and give this microphone to you, Brother Myers. I, I thought, I'm just going to give the microphone to him because I don't know if I can continue preaching. And what was so unique about it is that while I was pouring out of myself what little I had left into the people of God, that were listening to me preach that day, all of a sudden, the anointing of God began to pour back into me. Now, I went through uh, one of the worst things that, that I'll ever go through in my life, losing my daughter, and 
praying uh, and seeking God. I didn't feel that anointing yet. But when I began to pour of myself into the people of God, God's spirit began to pour back into me. Mm. And all of a sudden I felt revived while I was preaching. I felt restored, refreshed, renewed. I, I felt that fresh fire and that fresh anointing God's spirit pour back into me while I was trying to pour out of myself into you. And that's when I realized there is a specific anointing that will only flow in as we pour out. So there is an anointing for your valley. There is a, a, a spirit of faith. There is a spirit of power of God for your valley. And for me, I found that anointing as I continued pouring out to someone else. Wow, that's a revelation. What a revelation. Some things... God wants to give us that we'll never receive until we empty out of ourselves. There's more of that. If you want to watch that whole interview, go to eastwind.church and watch that interview along with others, Brother Joel Ursh and Brother Josh Carson and others. But there's something powerful about when people can just share their own personal testimony. He's saying, I'm a human being like anybody else. I was hurting like anybody. But I learned that if I could give what little bit I had, God began to just give me. And this year he has been blessed in his ministry beyond anything he has ever seen. Because there is a double portion, my friend, that God is going to give to his people. I know you've been hurting, but I've come to tell you, it's not over. Just got to get back up. Got to wash your face. Got to get in the house of God. Got to anoint yourself and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Don't forget that God is the giver of life. David goes to comfort Bathsheba after the loss, and she has another son, and they name him Solomon, which means peace. They simply want peace. They have another son. They name him Solomon, which means peace. We've been through a lot. We just want peace. And the Lord says, not so fast. He tells his prophet, Nathan, Go tell the parents, I'm going to name him Jedediah, which literally means the beloved of the Lord. He is loved of Yahweh. Jedediah. God says, I love him. God is giving life for death. God is responding to the humility and prayer of forgiveness that David prayed that's recorded so eloquently in Psalms 51. Why does God love this child so much that he gives him a name from heaven? I believe there are three reasons. Number one, he loved David. And because he loved David, he loved his children. Oh, my friend, if for no other reason, you ought to serve God for your children's sake. Because there is a heritage. And he loved David. The Bible said David was a man after his own heart. And so because of that, from the moment Solomon Jedediah was born, the Bible said he loved him. Because he loved David. You know, sometimes you'll see that with your friends. You love their children, even if they're hoodlums. You'll love them because you love their parents. And they'll say, you won't believe what Johnny did. You just smile. Yeah, Johnny's something. And you're thinking, Johnny needs a whipping. <laughs> but you smile and you rejoice with him because you love the parents. The Bible talks about that. Our love for each other can't even be, it can't even come to a, a small percentage of understanding the love of God. But think about how much God loves our kids. If we're in a covenant relationship with him. So the first reason that, that the Lord loved, uh, I'm going to call him Jedediah because that's what God called him. The first reason that he loved Jedediah is because he loved his dad, David. The second, I believe he loved Bathsheba too. The second reason is that the price for sin was paid. Now, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. God doesn't hold grudges. People hold grudges. Not all people, but some people. 
But God doesn't hold grudges. The price has already been paid. We're moving on. Here's another son, and I love him. And he's not going to have the stigma of sin on him. He's going to have the mark of love. It was a living love note that every day when they watch that little boy play, they could be reminded, he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. God loves us. God doesn't hold grudges. We sometimes hold them against ourselves. Like one old preacher said, when you get baptized, God throws all your old sins into the sea of forgetfulness and puts up a no fishing sign. And you want to spend every day in there trying to dredge up some old stuff. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. That's why, I know I talk about this a lot, but I think it's important. That's why Moses told the children of Israel after the sea of uh, the Red Sea was opened up and they went through on dry grounds and the Philistine army tried to come and get from the Bible said he took their wheels off and they all drowned in the sea and their bodies washed up on shore and he brought the children of Israel in there and said, look at their faces because you ain't going to see them no more. We're moving on. I say, we're moving on. Some of us need to move on. God has forgiven you. Move on. You're not going to be defined by who you used to be. Move on. You're not defined by who your parents were or were not. Move on. God's got something great for you. He's got a calling. He's got a destiny. God doesn't hold grudges. And the third thing was that God was prepared to renew the covenant of life. Don't ever forget that God is the giver of life. And I don't know what you may have gone through, but God is prepared to renew the covenant of life. And so you got to go ahead and receive it even before you feel it or before you see it. This child was a living love note that God had renewed the covenant of life. It was God's living love note. I'm not going to hold the sin against you. He's got the identity of love, not the identity of my judgment. And so every day they had to be reminded that the Lord loves us. And so I want to ask you today, what living love note has God given you? Is it a relationship? Is it a person? Is it a healing? It may be a job or it may be some blessing that only you know about. But you got to remind yourself. He's given me some living love notes. And if I'm not careful, I'll focus on all the problems. And I'll forget that God has got a living daily reminder of his love for me. No matter what you go through. Don't forget the living love note from heaven. I've got great parents. God's blessed me with that. You can't pick your parents. But if I could, I wouldn't have picked anybody any different. I've got great parents. I'm blessed. I've got a great wife, great in-laws, great children. I've got a great church. God doesn't have to do anything else for me. All I can do is spend the rest of my days just saying, thank you, Lord. You don't have to bless. Now, if you, if you choose to bless me, I'll take it. Big Daddy got big arms. <laughs> but you don't owe me anything, God. You've already been so good. But if we're not careful, we'll forget the living love notes. And we'll focus on the struggles and the trials and the loss and the pain and the hurt. Oh, you say, Pastor, I would never, ever do that. Oh, yeah? Well, guess what? David and Bathsheba did. Over time, the love letter from heaven must have slipped out of their minds because we never hear the name Jedediah again. Only one time is it mentioned in the Bible when the Lord says, Nathan, tell them, His name is Jedediah. I love him. But we don't know him as Jedediah. 
We know him as Solomon. They told David and Bathsheba that. They said, that's so special. (laughs) Solomon, time for your bath. Solomon, time for your pedicure. Solomon, it's time for your studies. Solomon, did you feed the tiger? Solomon! They called him Solomon! We call him Solomon! God said he's Jedediah. And then, even though that happened, God could have said, well, they didn't like the name. I'm, I ain't going to bless him. But God's not like that. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And when God loves, He loves. I said, when He loves, He loves. And the kingdom continues to grow. Solomon becomes the successor of David. And God loves him and blesses him. He becomes the wisest man ever. One of the richest men ever. Because the love of God is not wishy-washy. And even though they do not take the name that the prophet gives them from the Lord. Even though they may have forgotten over time. That this child is the beloved of Yahweh. God has marked him. And all of heaven knows it. And God still blesses him anyhow. You know why? Because faithfulness has a heritage. And repentance has a heritage and worship has a heritage and that heritage is the love of God and if you've ever experienced the love of God you need to call to remembrance in your mind a living love note that God has used to remind you every day that he still loves me and he's still at work in my life it transcends times it marks your life It marks your children. And you ought to come back to God today completely for the sake of your own children, for the sake of eternity. He loves you and He has marked it on your life. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just take a moment right now And would you begin to think of those living love notes in your life? Things that you know are from the Lord. Things that God has given you that you don't deserve. They're there on a daily basis. Oh, but pastor, you don't know the pain. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the heartache. I know. But there's some living love notes that are there. I choose to worship you today, Lord. I choose to thank you for those living loved ones. I can lay on the ground and feel sorry for myself or I can get up on my feet today. I can lift up my hands and begin to worship you. Come on, I can wash my face. I can come to this altar today. I choose to bless your name today, oh God. Oh, that's beautiful. They're coming from all over the building. Here we come, God. We've come to worship you today. Come on, he's been there all the while. Through the pain, through the hurt, through the heartache. He's been there all the while. In the name of Jesus.